0: Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at the PMShow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet. By Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is a creator of the How movement dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how if you are ready to take your life to the next level move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not tune in
1: right now to this latest edition of the philippe Matthews show and watch your life grow and we're back ladies and gentlemen on the philippe Matthews show thank you for tuning in uh peter shin is the founder and ceo of uh uh is it Karakins? Carakins's group uh, is known internationally for innovation, business thinking and thought leadership. Uh, he has successfully grown his uh, uh, global brand and global company uh, uh, from firsthand experience in the challenges of business uh, and building a business in a volatile and disruptive world. Can't wait to have that conversation about that. He's worked uh, with powerhouse brands such as Microsoft, IBM, at and t and Wells, Fargo, Fargo. He's named the 25 most influential speakers. Uh, of the National Speakers Association and the youngest member to be inducted in the Hall of Fame uh, for the association. Welcome, Peter. Slate, Thanks for having me. The book is called Matter, Move Beyond the Competition, Create More Value, and Become the Obvious Choice. An incredible book, an incredible piece, uh, and what I want to know is what is um, the edge of disruption? That is one of the themes throughout the book. Yeah. So let's create a little bit of context for the listener. It doesn't matter what
0: industry you're in or what vocation you're committing your life to, even parenthood is facing significant disruption right now. You know, we've got social media impacting our kids' lives, we've got technology changing the business world, and we've got massive social disruption changing You know, even the world of faith, right? So. You know, the the book is really focused on how do you take that change, how do you take those forces of disruption and turn them into opportunity? And five years' worth of research all over the world, we discovered that the first thing you want to do is move towards that disruption rather than away from it. That denying that it exists or hoping it goes away is a pipe dream. We have to deal with it and deal with it properly. But that when you find the overlap between the emerging needs that come from the disruption... Because you think about it, everyone's facing it, so clearly we're all waking up with really specific challenges we're trying to solve for ourselves or our businesses or our families. And if you find the overlap between that and where your skills are, your capability, your talent, your offer for the market, there's opportunity. And that's what we call the edge of disruption is where that overlap exists.
1: I like that. I like that. So you you say that you must have the courage to challenge assumptions uh, as it relates to uh, this edge of disruption. What did you mean by that?
0: Well, when we think about the future and what it's going to – and how it might change, we have a bad habit of taking our historical beliefs and biases into that conversation, right? So Mm -hmm. generally, we make the assumption that people will keep behaving and businesses will keep operating the way – they have. I'll give you an example, right? Here in America, um, more than seventeen percent of Americans work in the transportation industry, right? And I would guarantee you that ninety nine percent of that seventeen percent are running around feeling like their future is rosy and there's nothing threatening them right now. And yet we're ten years from autonomous vehicles, right? Mm. Imagine what autonomous autonomous vehicles does to the automation of all of that Labor, all those jobs, right? Yeah, I bet you most of them right now are making the assumption, going back to your question, that all is rosy and that you know this changing world's not going to impact them. It is, right. and that's why it's so critical to question the past and not shoehorn it into the future.
1: Wow, that's brilliant. Um, what I love about this book—well, uh, well, there's many things I love about this book. It's, uh, I've dog-eared it, I've highlighted it. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's been beat up because I've been really absorbing it um, you have in there what's called a disruption chart I really thought that was amazing talk to us about that and what people can expect when they go through a, a disruption chart
0: yeah so it's really a two-part process right number one is just sit down with a blank page or a whiteboard and list all the things that are changing around and inside your life your business your family whatever context you're talking about, and list them out. Political change, um, you know, social shifts, changing consumer preferences, new technology, um, mergers and acquisitions, like it really depends where you are in, in your life right now. List them, and then sit back and take a look at that list and ask yourself the question, which of these things are likely to happen, and when they do happen, what impact will that likely have on my job, my business, my family, my whatever, Right? Then number two, you ask a second question, which is, what if multiple of these things happen at the same time?
1: Mm.
0: Now, what impact might that have? And mm. by the way, the assumption many of your listeners might have, Philippe, right now is that that's going to be a bad thing. Actually, no, right? Uh, let me give you a simple example. Um, you could have done a, a disruption chart 10 years ago and you would have had uh, um, uh, oh, uh, 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 ubiquitous connectivity of broadband. brand you could have had increasing mobile devices you could have improved battery life of technology you could have better screen you could have listed on that thing um digital content and the ability to download instead of rent a video or get a dvd the combination of those forces of disruptions created the tablet market the ipad and everything you, know, you think about how much tablets permeate our life right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is, this is one of the key things in the book it's not about how is disruption bad? It's how are and where will you find opportunities in this disruption? And starting with that chart, questioning those issues, and building some of those scenarios that I'm describing is part of how you identify where the opportunity is
1: or the so threat. It's basically seeing yourself in the future and being prepared for it.
0: Yeah. Well, and and finding opportunities to maybe create it
1: as well. Mm, I like that. I like that. Now, you, you, you say in the book you, you want to move uh, from ideas to insights. What's the difference? So I would say an idea is
0: some creative output where someone projects some, an interesting concept of where the future might be. That's an idea, right? An insight is something that's is basically an idea backed up by data, yeah, or data, as we would say here in America, right? It's an <laughs> idea that has been tested and for which you have enough evidence to suggest is true, right? And it's really designed for a business audience, that that concept, and that's this idea that, you know, there's a lot of content being produced and a lot of people sharing blog posts and articles and podcasts and all these kind of things that are full of ideas but aren't necessarily full of insight. And I think people have become a bit uh, bit, uh, immune to the ideas and they're really looking for the the evidence-based data-rich insights.
1: Oh, that's really good. That's really good. You say uh, that that uh, you need to be known for what you know. What do you mean by that? Well, this is the inside point, right, is, you know, you, your average
0: listener could be listening right now going, well, I don't know. I don't have any thought leadership or content or insight or what value can I bring? And mm-hmm. usually that's because you don't, you don't even know what you know, right? You know, it, it, there are professionals inside of departments, inside of massive organizations that have two or three concepts that could massively enhance the quality of what that company does or, or, or significantly reduce cost. And they're sitting on there going, I've no value to add, I, I'm just coming in, I'm going to do my job. And mm-hmm. sometimes because they don't know what they know. And part of what Matter was about was understanding how we find opportunity. And the more the world's changing, the more people want insight. And part of insight is about farming your experience and farming what you have learned and farming your collective intelligence you know
1: Oh, I like that you talk about companies that matter have come to know uh, uh, that, that views and volume uh, of consumption do not equal value what do you mean by that
0: yeah so in, in a world of social media where it's how many thumbs up and likes did I get or how many retweets or whatever we tend to evaluate the quality of what we do by you know how much the masses approves or disproves of it right and yet Business last I checked was about trading value in the mind of the market and getting compensated for it, right? And mm-hmm. so it's really, another way, it's really another way of saying it's not a popularity contest. Like I, I don't care if no one knows who I am as long as the people who can write checks for what I do do know who I am. And that's a rather, rather facetious way of putting it. But what I mean is it's not about mass profile or mass consumption or mass – you know, approval, it's about uh, do you have a unique solution or a unique gift to offer an employer to bring to your community or to bring to the business market or the consumer market, and do those people who value it know who you are?
1: And that's mm-hmm. much more critical. Another piece in the book, you talk about new ideas and, uh, and new approaches, including those from the uh, edge of disruption, are always met with uh, criticism. Uh, and, and and talk to us about that because uh, if you're on the edge of disruption, uh, wouldn't it make sense that criticism is part of par for the course? Criticism is absolutely
0: par for the course, and if you weren't criticised early, you're probably not doing something that interesting, right? Oh, no, nice. and you know, to let let's use a really uh, a really cliche example right now. We talked about transportation and autonomous driving. Well, the predicator to that. The predecessor to that, I suppose, is a better way to put it, will be Uber, right? Now, most mm-hmm. people think Uber started three years ago. Uber's 11 and a half years old at this point, right? I mean, it's been around a while and it faced a lot of resistance and took a long time to get a critical mass, a tipping point of people using it. And even today, everyone wants to talk about their terrible this or the terrible that or the risks of that. or, You know, every new idea disrupts someone, something, some established status quo. And by instinct of survival, those people who are invested in and profiting from the status quo are going to resist the new innovative, disruptive idea, right? And so rejection and criticism and, and in some cases, the litigation
1: is just par for the course. Um, you talk about thought leadership in the book. What is thought leadership?
0: I think the way to understand that is it's the inside versus idea piece, which is, you know that again really specific business application if you're trying to develop a relationship as a trusted advisor as a strategic partner for your customer if you want to be influential over their decisions and you don't want to be commoditized and like and you don't want to compete just on price then you need to make sure you're bringing something valuable above and beyond the product and above and beyond the solution to that decision maker And this idea of bringing insight is what that's about. And thought leadership is just another, you know, kind of sexier term for it, really.
1: Okay, okay. You also talk about uh, the value of relationships, and particularly high-value relationships in developing that. Speak to us about that.
0: Yeah, and I think hopefully your listeners didn't skip over the nuance that was in your language just then, right, which is, there are the There is the value of the relationship, and then there are the relationships that are based on high value right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. once Once upon a time, people'd be like i 've been doing business with Bill for twenty three years. our kids play soccer in the same team, and we all went to the same alma mater or whatever these days that 's not cutting the mustard right. It is all about the relationship, no question, but what is making relationships valuable is when there is high value in the exchange, right? And that's this idea of thought leadership and insight. Are you bringing highly valuable, highly impactful, kind of game-changing perspectives and insight and data and information and thought leadership to your customers so that you're their first call, right? The subtitle of the book says move beyond the competition, create more value, and become the obvious choice, well, you're only going to be the obvious choice if you're bringing value, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we're really trying to say there is the idea that relationships are built on golf and hockey tickets is really changing and that the relationships are built on high-value exchange these days.
1: So what do you mean then by that uh, uh, to being in, being the traffic means standing shoulder to shoulder with your clients? Is, is that part of that? Yeah, so think about it this way.
0: Um, If you've got insight and thought leadership, then you have something valuable to offer to the relationships you have. Sometimes people choose that until there's a direct money, profit, product, sales opportunity on the table. Mm -hmm. And the mistake they make is that by the time someone's asking for an RFP or a proposal or, or, you know, they're buying a new closet, let's keep it simple, they're probably talking to three different closet manufacturers at that point, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas if you could have been involved in the first discussion, which was, wow, do we need a closet? Well, wow, what kind of closet do we need? How should we design that closet? And you're in the traffic, meaning you're in the conversations, you're part of the meetings, you're part of their everyday interaction, like, which is the other part of the, the other side of the relationship, right? then you're likely to know and be aware of the opportunity long before it goes out to competitive bid or long before the customer's making the decision. And what we're trying to advise people is to invest early. Do what it takes to be part of the conversation. Do what it takes to be in the room. Add value. Contribute. Be generous. Because when it comes time for the cash, profit, product, sales opportunity, you'll be the first call. Um, if you wait and only interact and only engage and only try to add value when there's a direct return for you, it's often met with cynicism and it's not differentiated you and everybody else.
1: This is good. This is good. You talk about uh, uh, the five uh, key ways companies can win uh, and how to matter. Uh, Let's, let's roll through that uh, quickly if we could. Uh, The first one is embrace disruption. So once we understand disruption, we need to really embrace it and re- just dive, completely dive into that mindset and that uh, methodology.
0: Yeah, and I think you and I have been talking a little bit about that already on the, on the, in the interview, which is this idea that uh, disruption is not all bad. So number one, own it, accept that it's going to happen. Number two, start looking at and, and thinking about how it's going to play out, like what the future might look like. And then three, start mm-hmm. looking for the opportunities there. So that's the concept of embracing disruption.
1: And you use Burberry as a as a great example for that in a, as a case study.
0: Yeah, I mean Burberry is one of my favorite favorite examples these days. And under the leadership of Angela Ahrendts, who was formerly at Donna Karan, um, who's now at Apple, actually. They tripled the enterprise value of Burberry, and they did it by, you know, the disruption in in apparel retail is omnichannel. This idea that we want a digital, we could do it on the phone, we could be on our mobile, on our tablet, on our PC, we could be in store, and doing all of that at exactly the same time, right? And so that was the disruption, and Burberry did such a stunning job of number one, creating an in-store experience that was able to and supported by and augmented by technology. So they really created the convergence of bricks and mortar and digital. And number two, they took to the digital platforms and, the, and things like social media, etc., in a really meaningful way and put a lot of their money and a lot of their energy into building their brand that way. And that has massively paid off for them.
1: Number two, you talk about offering more value. Um, and by solving challenges uh, for uh, consumers, employees, and stakeholders. Talk to us about offering more value as it relates to disruption. And you use the case point of of, uh, Blue Shore Financial. Yeah, so
0: there are problems that our clients have and our customers have, and then there are the problems they have that they care about even more right? And there are many businesses that have been set up to solve a problem that's now no longer hard to solve, right? That there are lots of available substitutes to solve that, you know, lower order, fairly common problem. And financial services is a perfect example. I mean, there's nothing that radical or innovative about how a typical bank, community bank, credit union, whatever, solves those basic financial challenges, like it's, it's kind of price of entry stuff. And yet there are problems that they care about more. So beyond basic transactional things, that same banking customer could be extremely concerned about their retirement or be very ambitious about building wealth, right? And what happens is organizations avoid that more complex challenge. They avoid that, solving that more complex challenge because it's harder and it's more difficult to scale and it's less proven and, you know, they have to have better quality staff and better quality process and better quality systems. And then they complain when they don't that they're commoditized, right? Mm. And so the second strategy is go after that issue. And the example of Blue Shore Financial was actually a credit union in British Columbia in Canada who um, were served. They were a credit union, but their entire geographical uh, populace that were serving were high or emerging high net worth families. I mean, Vancouver is the most expensive property market in the world these days, right? And so they have this credit union with traditional values and like really, you know, core mission from the original days of credit unions. But the higher order problem was, how do I help these emerging high net worth individuals build and accumulate wealth? And so they said, you know what? We're not just gonna do basic banking. We're gonna become wealth creation service providers we're going to solve that problem and in doing so create more value oh and by the way we'll get their banks and then we'll get their transaction accounts their savings accounts their iras and their 401ks and all the other things that go with it although in canada they use different language Mm -hmm. and so they still solve all those products but they're also solving that higher order problem which as your statement suggests adds more value seeking uh
1: seeking out the right partners um you you would think that when you're particularly if you're a company or even an entrepreneur, perhaps even a solopreneur, um, when you think about seeking out the right partners, uh, speak to us about that 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 nuance of that, um, and, and the strategic the, the 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 value of a strategic partnership uh, when a, when you're going into a disruptive um, uh, business or you're trying to create disruption that it's smarter to do it with other people to kind of shore up your position is that is that where you're going with this in the book
0: yeah that and a little bit and a little bit more as well um, so take the blue shore example right mm-hmm. the they want to they be seen as like wealth creators and 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 accumulators for their for their members now that's a sophisticated solution that's hard to pull off and if you're spending all your time servicing low-value customers that only want the transaction account, then you're going to run out of capacity and people to solve the higher order problem. You'll be so busy doing the work that you won't be able to create the higher value solution. Does that make Mm. sense? And so what we found in our research, Philippe, is that saying no and who you were willing to say no to was as important as who you wanted to say yes to. Because the the courage to say no freed up the capacity for you to create the solutions to then sell to the more strategic and a desirable customer, and if you but if you didn't do that and you kept saying yes, you just would you'd never migrate, you'd never move up the value chain, you'd never mm-hmm. get into that space.
1: This is great. This is really like taking the uh, concept of the 80-20 rule to a to a steroid level, right? Yeah. Uh, talk about leaders being focused. I'm loving this. Uh, you, uh, number four, talk about care about more than profit. That seems obvious, and sometimes in, in one sense it seems counterproductive.
0: Yeah. So profit is not a thing you do or a thing you maximize. It's the outcome of having done a lot of other things really well, things like mm. generating revenue, things like creating satisfied, raving fans, things like managing costs, Trust me when I tell you, most organizations, your ability to pull those three things off is directly proportionate to how engaged and capable your people are, right? Mm -hmm. So just take that as one example, right? Go after your people and invest in them because they're the ones generating the revenue, making the sales, satisfying the customers, wowing the customers, reducing costs, protecting their expense items. Like profit will be the outcome of having done a lot of these things well. And I think when organizations get so fixated just on profit maximization, ironically, they don't maximize profit. Whereas when they don't focus on maximizing profit and they focus on employee experience or customer value or these other things that you and I are talking about, the outcome is maximized. Profit, um, but what we found, what we found, Philippe, in our research, is it was beyond just taking care of your people. It was also about community. And I'd rather mm. not mention specific uh, company names at this point, but we mm. studied two major, two major attempted acquisitions, one that was successful and one that was unsuccessful. And in the case of the unsuccessful acquisition, and this was a big multi-billion-dollar merger, right? The number one reason it didn't make it through the DOJ was that thousands, tens of thousands of customers wrote in and went, we hate these people, don't make them any bigger and any more powerful than they currently are, right? Wow. Versus, yeah, I mean, this is like, this was was big, you know, versus this other one, which was of equal size, that went through without a hitch. No pressure, no response, because people were invested in their success. Or as we would say, that company mattered more to its customers and its community. And so this idea of behaving in a way, worthy of a leadership position. This idea of being a good corporate citizen, of investing and developing your community, having your people involved and engaged, excuse me, beyond the four walls and beyond the kind of profit-maximizing vehicle, it was also a critical thing. So care about more than profit was a big a big finding.
1: You talk about, uh, and number five is identify future needs. We talked about that earlier, but you use the um, company Adobe as an example.
0: Yeah, so it's all good and well if you're the world's best, problem solver for today's problems. But if those problems aren't tomorrow's problems, you're going to be basically sat there, optimised for a world that doesn't exist. And that sounds like an extreme thing to say. However, mm-hmm. we are seeing in more and more industries, people and, and companies being displaced. There's a, there was a piece of research done very recently that estimated, listen to this, this will blow your mind, 47% of all jobs in America, 47 will be automated within the next 10 to 15 years. Wow. So just think about that for a second. I gave you the example of transportation. Like 70% of yeah. Americans work in transportation, right? Like this, that entire thing could be automated, which completely changes insurance. Think about how many people work in insurance. Like just multiply that out, right? That's just, and I've just listed one technology. What about AI and its ability to do tax returns and audit, right? Like we could lose half the accounting profession, you know? And so... It's all well to be optimized for solving today's problems, but you damn well better be relevant tomorrow as well, and pardon me being so blunt about that. Mm-hmm. And so always having an eye on the future and, and getting yourself future ready and capable is, is critical.
1: Peter, Shane, you, you are an absolute master in what you do. Um, you, you are disruption. <laughs> you are disruption. <laughs> you really are. Uh, the book is called Matter move beyond the competition, create more value, and become the obvious choice. Thank you so much for being with us. And I want, I want you to come back. Let's talk about this a little bit more and dig even deeper.
0: All uh, right, Philippe, thanks for having me. And uh, I hope you, your listeners are happy, healthy, and, and making positive progress to the future.
1: I appreciate you. Have a good one. Thanks, man.